0: This is how legends are made. Legendary.
1: There's so many legends in this building
0: today. Legendary. Welcome. You're listening to Legendary. I lived at the podcast and I'm Kevin Jonas Sr. Today's guest is Mike Kerb from Kerb Records. He launched the career of many artists and many incredible songs, I recorded this during the pandemic about two to two and a half years ago, and I cannot wait to share his stories with you. Welcome, Mike Kerb. You know, Mike, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, because I find it incredibly fascinating that you were a part of so many songs that were massive, but there are two in particular that you also are credited with co-producing. That were impactful for me. One was You Light Up My Life with Debbie Boone and the other of course How Do I Live? Two of arguably the biggest songs in history uh, based on their credits, based on the length of time, uh, the chart position, the multiple charts that they topped. Um, And I wanted to ask you what was it like to be a part of Moments like that with songs, just like with Shaft. Uh, of course, for me, Puppy Love and Paper Roses and songs that were so iconic and so dynamic. But when I think of how do I, how do I live? Broke the record for the most weeks on the chart. Uh, you know, you, you light up my life as a young Christian boy. Here was Debbie Boone and the song was Christian, and it was a love song, and it was powerful. What was it like to be a part of those moments, and did you know that it was going to become what it became?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I I wish I could tell you that I knew it uh, at the time. I think I know the difference between bad music and good music, uh, I don't always know if it's going to be a hit or not. Um, I wish I did. I, I, one thing I did know, uh, I, I was the co-producer of, of Debbie's you light up my life album. And also co-producer of Leanne rhymes, uh, you light up my life album that were, I think at least 20 years apart, uh, and more than 20 years apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned the Christian aspect of it because, um, when I, when I uh, was really starting my company back in the, in the 60s and 70s, the Jesus movement, believe it or not, was really happening in California. It was, we, we think of it as being a southern thing, and I think it did end up in the south. But the early Jesus movement was happening in churches in the south. They weren't conventional churches. Uh, but, for example, Larry Norman. I signed a young guy named Larry Norman. He had a song called, I Wish We'd All Been...
0: Two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one's left standing still. That was my first solo in church.
1: I wish we'd all been...
0: Been ready.
1: <laughs> that was... Um, so he had that song, and he already had the song. He already had written the song, uh, and I, I was really confused because I was signed to Word Records at the time uh, because uh, we, the first contract I got was with Word Records for my group, um, and it was back in the 60s. And my my father had said, you know, if you graduate from high school, uh, I'll let you take the car. We had a 1953 Chevy. He said, I'll let you drive the car. And I had to drive across the country. Uh, it seemed like it wasn't all the way. It was halfway across. Uh, right up in, into Waco, Texas, where Baylor was, and I couldn't find Word Records. Uh, but Gerald McCracken, who founded Word, was a had been a graduate of Baylor, and and so anyway, I I drove there with a friend of mine, uh, and and I auditioned, and and the group, and <sighs> the guy that was the number two guy there to Gerald McCracken was Billy Ray Hearn. Oh, a legend. Billy Ray was the. Yeah, he was in the next office and he signed my group. They signed, Gerald McCracken and Billy Ray signed the Mike Curb Congregation and we did a couple of albums. It took a long time uh, and back then, you know, back then we would throw a party if, if the record sold 5,000 units, you know, but right. but still we and the first song we did there was, I think it was called Lord Achieve Thy Holy Purpose uh, but we recorded uh, several songs um, and then you know they put him out and we did okay wasn't bad um and then i went back to california and then just a few years later after my group was signed to word uh i signed larry norman and and of course we had a, a success with. i wish we'd all been ready but then at my church uh there was a guy named buck herring and he said would you uh listen to my family uh they're they're as good as the Osmonds, and I was already producing the Osmonds, so I, I listened to him because he was going to my church. Oh, I listened to everybody at those days, you know, I still do. And the group was called Second Chapter of Acts. Ooh, and, one of my and, all-time and, favorites. Yeah, and and his wife was Annie Herring, and he was going to my church. It was set. It was called Church on the Way. In fact, the preacher Jack Hayford is still preaching there, and and so. We so the and this preceded You Light Up My Life. So all of a sudden we had Larry Norman's side. Mm. And we didn't and, and I have to be honest with you, I didn't know it was it was contemporary Christian. I knew it was Christian. But they had all kinds of terrible names. They used to call it Jesus Freak music. You remember that? Oh
0: I do remember. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I mean terrible <laughs> the way people criticize but but it was just criticism. And, and I remember putting records into my trunk and I would drive down to, to 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 the Maranatha Church in Orange County, where Chuck Smith was, and I would say, Chuck, would you put twenty copies of of the second chapter of Acts record in in the bookstore? I would say it to, at my church, you know. But what I noticed at our, at our at the church I was going to, I noticed something interesting. It wasn't traditional like the Baptist church I had grown up in, and the music w- was not even traditional. But what I noticed is young kids who are recovering. From mm-hmm. drugs, I had always, you know, being the son of an FBI agent, I had always been against drugs, and I, I can't believe anyone. But all of a sudden, my eyes were open uh, to the fact that these kids were recovering from drug usage, and they were recovering through a relationship with God and Jesus. And so I, I and I it it re, I was realizing that, and so this music, I started putting it out, even though it wasn't selling, and then. One, you know, so I, so I ended up with second chapter of Acts with Larry Norman, and then DeGarmo and Key came along, uh, and uh, Pat Boone's then son-in-law, Doug Corbin, said, "Mike, there's a group," and Pat Boone uh, and his family started going to our church as well, and and so all so all of a sudden we had the Garmo and Key, which was the first Christian rock band. Again, we weren't right. selling a lot. Well, then along comes. Uh, the, you know well first of all the Boons I was producing an album with the Boon sisters and Debbie Boone and we were looking for a title for the album um, and and a friend of mine in in uh, in New York said there's a movie that you got to see uh, because it's called Sessions and I'm it, I can't place the movie in, and my friends have invested I said well what do you want me to do with the movie he said I want you just to look at it. And he said, I want to, uh, I said, could you, well, I'll look at it, but you want to send me the songs? So he sent me the songs. And one of the early songs, he put me together with a guy named Joe Brooks, who had written a song called You Light Up My Life. You know, <laughs> and I know a lot of people think, a lot of people think I wrote it. And I, I do have 25% of the copyright. But I'm being really honest with you. The only change of substance that I made in that song was, uh, he came to me and he, I was, you know, I was, you know, I've been married 42 years but I wasn't married at that time and I was dating Karen Carpenter I or I had dated her for a couple of years and he wanted Karen Carpenter to sing you light up my life and, and and I played it for her in my car and she turned it down and then he wanted Ann Murray and she turned it down and various other people but I said they if you want me to help you with this song You've got to take baby out of the song because the song sounded like a waltz. It was like baby, light of my life. You know, Da 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 um, da, da. Da 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 <laughs> da. Yeah, but, but, see what I mean? It was like um pop, pop almost like a Polish polka, right? You know, mm-hmm. it, it didn't sound. It didn't have the emphasis of the four-four time. But it, but it was he'd written it. I mean, I come on. But anyway, so I convinced them to, to first take out baby. So the song would start like you light, light up my life. You give me hope. You give mm-hmm. me strength. Carry, you know, that, you know, so she, so, and, and what I had in mind was presenting it to Debbie Boone to, 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 for our album. I had no idea it was even going to be the single, but I, I had in my I thought it would be a good song, but I couldn't, and there was no way Pat Boone was going to let his daughter sing baby you light up my I mean it's gonna happen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And we were all going to and we were all going to the same church too. So so I said so I said to Joe, look, you're asking me to help you with the song. You're you're sharing the copyright with me, uh or give me part of it. I'm asking to take the word baby out of this and you if you want to add it later on, you know, but and and I will record it with Debbie Boone. He said, Who's Debbie Boone? I said, She's a really good singer and, and we will be able to break this in the Christian market. I said, I've already got, you know, second chapter of facts and the Garmo and T and, um, and you know, Larry Norman. Now we can have Debbie Boone and her sisters, uh, and this will be good for the Christian market. So finally, at the last second, so the girl who the lady who had sung the song um, for him or who was originally working on it, he was a girlfriend of his who he had broken up with. So he's, he let us fix the, the feeling of the song, and, and we went ahead and recorded it with Debbie Boone, and he said, well, I need it out now. I need it out now. And I said, well, okay, I'll release it, but I mean, I am really, I have to release it first to the Christian community. He said, no, you've got to release it everywhere because of the movie, because what they did is they retitled the movie from Sessions to You Light Up My Life. They had retitled <laughs> it. So, so, he, so they wanted out, so I said, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll ship it to some of the key markets like Houston, markets that might be willing to play a crossover uh, record, you know. And and so, uh, anyway, to make a long story short, we shipped it. And the record exploded on, I think it was KBBQ in Houston, and it exploded in, the, of course, there weren't a lot of Christian stations at the time, but all I remember is it became the number one record of the whole decade.
0: You know, right. and,
1: and I could... And I, I contributed so little to the song, but I contributed a lot to to making it happen because we were in a position where once we saw that it was going to go beyond the Christian market, we jumped in. and I and I think that's the most important parallel with the Leanne Rhymes because you had the similar situation with Leanne Rhymes twenty years later uh, when she had joined our company. She was only thirteen, but she could sing. Like Patsy Cline, she was, she was not just a teenage singer. She sounded like a mature yeah. adult with a with a with one of the great voices of all time. And so, but but when we signed Leanne because she was young and she was from Texas, the only way you could sign her as a minor would be if she had a guardian at litem. And in order for the guardian at litem to approve it, uh, they wanted every other song album to be a country and a Christian album. So <laughs> we had to agree that the. That the first two albums, one of them would be Christian and one of them would be country. Well, meanwhile, when when her first single "Blue" broke, it was pure country. I mean, it was right, it, absolutely. It was, it was, and it was just awesome. It was a, it, it was very, uh, you know, it, it was obviously very retro in its sound, but but her, but it showed off her voice because she could, you know, jump the octaves and do a. She had this incredible voice for a 13-year-old. So anyway, so we put, so we we immediately came with the blue album and it was a big smash number one album for country. But then we were committed that the next album had to be a Christian album. So I said, well, how about you light, our old friend, you light up my life. There's a song that, that 20 years before had done the job for us for Debbie Boone and Debbie Boone also had won the, uh, the overall Grammy as a new artist that year. So we, so anyway, uh, so I was producing, uh, co-producing uh, with with uh, Leanne's father, uh, a, a Christian album, which we decided to call You Light Up My Life. So we recorded You Light Up My Life. Uh, and while we were recording on the same session that we recorded You Light Up My Life, uh, Leanne walked in and said, I've been working with with uh, Diane Warren on, mm-hmm. on and uh, and do, and kind of putting down on tape some songs and she played them for me. And one of them was how do I live that Diane had written. And Diane went to Cal. She's the only other person I know who went to Cal state uh, where I went. The only difference is I think she graduated and I didn't, but, but in any event, Diane Warren, so Leanne played that. So we decided to put that on the same session. So we recorded that and we recorded it. If you can believe it for the, you light up my life album. Uh, and then, so, so then of course, as we finished the record, we realized, oh my God, this is something incredible, you know, this is over, over the top. Uh, so we decided let's put, let's make that the first, let's make, how do I live? and, And how do I live? Had a very Christian message. How do I live? How do I breathe without you? You know, it was, it was a powerful message. Um, you know, and without you, there'd be no sun in the sky there. You know, I mean, all those words, I mean, if, if you're singing it to God and see that's what Debbie Boone did with you light up my life. And she, now Debbie was very vocal about the fact that she sang it to God. And when we, when we were able to move when we were able to change the song around, so it, so it, it punctuated with you light up. It really, I think helped a lot. And, and Debbie sang it to God and, and she was, vocal about that and and you just said that it was one of the most transitional christian records i have people all the time saying that might have been the first real christian outreach record um i mean even when you look this year this year we just won the grammy with god only knows which was a duet between dolly parton and for king and country and it just won the grammy for the best inspirational song this year uh, and that was on our label and but we recognized that when with Dolly on the record and with pertaining country and the fact that they were vocal about the mm-hmm. fact that this was for God, that's, that's okay. It's okay now, and it was okay then. It was just a lot harder then, believe it or not. It was harder because we didn't have an industry, a Christian industry, and it, it was so amazing to me. Uh, you know, Years later, when John Stall I think maybe in – not years later, maybe in 1978, came to me and said, Mike, I know you're running to be lieutenant governor, but you have – he said I've created – he said he had created a chart called CCM chart. And he said, you've got like five or six of the top ten. And I said, what are they? He said, you know, Larry Norman, you know, and in second chapter of Acts, Debbie Boone, Boone Girls, Mike Curb Congregation, DeGarmo and Keith. He was my, my records were, were on his top 10. contemporary. And he, I said, what does CCM stand for? He said, it stands for contemporary Christian music. And I said, that's a beautiful name. That's a lot better than calling us Jesus freaks, you know? So, right. so anyway, so he published his chart and he he had come to see me to see if I would take an ad. And if we could use a picture of Debbie Boone on the cover. And I, and, uh, and I called Pat and Shirley Boone and they said, you can do it as long as all four girls are there, all four sisters. I agreed, um, and, and we, we did that, and that was the first CCM Magazine chart, and so we've been following it ever since. We've been following Christian music ever since, and we've always felt that there. we've never looked at it as a separate area. We've always said, if we've got for King and Country, I mean, this current single, Together, we shipped it to pop the same week we shipped it to Christian. And I know, and I, back, you know if you go back 12 years ago when we had, I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me, we, we had to build it as a Christian hit first and then take it over to, to Pop. In fact, the Christian hit happened on a, on on the, on the other label. Our job at Curb was to take it to Pop. We were a partner in it. We had to wait for the record to be a big Christian hit, and that's always been the case, except with notable exceptions. You light up my life, hit mm-hmm. Pop and Christian at the same time, and th- and this past month, we debuted together by for & Country on the pop chart. And, uh, in fact, the, the pop chart we debuted on at 18 with a Bullet, your sons had the number one that week. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Cheryl, oh, your, Cheryl, your pop promotion person, said if these brothers would just stop releasing songs, it's like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah,
1: we can't. We, we, we can overcome, we can get for King Country to have a big hit, So we can't pass the Jonas Brothers yet. But, but, I will, but I will tell you this, the Jonas Brothers are an inspiration to, uh, to, jo- to the Smallbone Brothers.
0: Oh, that's good. Well, they're, they're very, very talented. And actually, I, I know Tori Kelly is on the song, and Tori I worked with at the beginning of her career. Very, very talented vocalist.
1: Well, it, it's so funny when you say this because when Cheryl worked at Pop at the same time that Jerry Cooper was working at Christian and they hit the chart both charts the same week, uh, Cheryl said, this I think is the first time. I said, well, maybe a second because we did it with You Light Up My Life <laughs> in, in 1977. So I basically, what is that, 35 years before or whatever? But uh, it is funny that that if we just keep on following... Uh, if we just keep doing what we can to get the best artists and the best music, um, isn't it interesting that we are sitting here talking about a, a God only knows winning a Grammy this year. And, and, and um, you know, and then, you know, and speaking about together having a huge debut and Christian and, and, and uh, Christian and pop the same week. And then meanwhile, you, you were bringing up how your life was impacted by you Lied of my life. Well, that would have been 1977.
0: Oh, and I was 12 years old, and it didn't hurt that Debbie Boone was beautiful. Um, that that surely did not hurt. But the song was a ma- like a massive song. When you say what you know, one of the biggest. What I've heard is the biggest overall song of the 70s. When you line up the songs that are represented in the seventies to say it's the biggest song of the decade, covers the Bee Gees, it covers Barbara Streisand, obviously, it covers the Eagles. I mean, just the list: Carol King, the the incredible impact of that crossover song. Uh, thank you for sticking with that inspiration, and I go back to uh, Larry Norman. Why should the devil have all the good music?
1: Yeah, and, and and what's amazing with Larry is he had all that before he signed with us. He had already written all that. He just was looking for a home. Wow. Uh, they're looking for a place to be.
0: But instrumental, like th- that was so influential for a generation. You know, they were called Jesus freaks, Jesus people, but really it was that hippie generation, that that free love culture, and as they came into church life, these powerhouses came out of it that may not have sold a ton, but, you know, second chapter of Acts for me, Larry Norman, that group of people, along with others like Love Song and, uh, you know, Russ Taff as he was coming It was in the Imperials and coming out. Like, those kind of talented people really did mark my life.
1: But you know what's really amazing is the same guy, Billy Ray Hearn, who signed the Mike Curb Congregation to Word in the the 60s. uh, He called me when he heard, I wish we'd all been ready. Mm. And he said, Mike, I've got good news and bad news. He said, I wish you had brought Larry Norman to work. Uh, I said, well, is that the good news or the bad news? He (laughs) said, well, the bad news is that I've just covered it. (laughs) And he covered it with an artist. I think the guy's name was something like Randy Stone. No, maybe not Randy Stone. Uh, Oh, what was his name? Uh, It might have been the guy from Paul and Paula. I have to try to remember his name, but. But the uh, there was a guy who who had been with in the music group Paul and Paula that had that big hit in the sixties song Hey Paul um, and uh, Hey Paul. But I, I'm, I'll try to remember his name. But Billy Ray had him cover. I uh, wish we'd all been ready, and actually ended up having a bigger hit. And <laughs> nothing negative. Nothing negative about it except. Uh, you know if you knew larry norman larry norman was that hippie that you just described he actually was that person who had been through who had made all the mistakes that that we do that we hope our kids don't make but a lot of our friends do make those mistakes and a lot of our you know family friends do and and we have to be there loving them through those mistakes and and so really i i think the the, the christian movement in the before we were called contemporary christian in 1978 I think what happened in the early 70s with, with my artists were, were that they, they just had a home. And I think my biggest mistake was not realizing that it really could be a genre. And, and Billy Ray Hearn was that guy who, who really did know that it was a genre. He really did know. So, so I, did, if you want to know if I did anything to uh, contribute to him since he signed my group originally and he covered Larry Norman. I said, you know something, you ought to come out Billy Ray to California and join one of the church movements and move here. And about two months later, he called me and he took me up on the offer and he made a deal with the vineyard and the rest is history. He started his label Sparrow. And this was somebody who really understood the, the Christian business.
0: You know, no question. Really, really yeah.
1: understood. Uh, really understood uh, the, the uh, Christian music business. As a big fan of TV's The Crown, I'm sad that it's ending. But the story of the British royal family is far from over and continues on the Palace Intrigue podcast. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. With Catherine beside him, Our new prince and princess of Wales will, I know, continue to inspire and lead our national conversations where vital help can be given. The golden couple have decided they're quitting. The family motto is never complain, never explain. It's just a motto. Follow the adventures of the British royal family as they happen, daily in under 10 minutes. Listen to Palace Intrigue wherever you get your shows.
0: I had him as a keynote speaker for a songwriters conference I held um, years ago, and I scheduled him so I could meet him. (laughs) So I totally get it. You know, there's somebody else, too, that crossed my path. Uh, Michael Lloyd, actually, Um, the producer.
1: A producer of what?
0: uh what was the producer's name? I'm gonna get his name right um, of the Osmonds
1: and let me let me help you i I can help you uh, first of all, I just remembered I think the name of the person that Billy Ray covered uh, I wish we would all been ready with It was named Ray Hildebrand I think oh my wife is helping me my I still have my beautiful wife, Linda here.
0: Hi, Linda. How are you? you. Uh,
1: uh, I, told, I told her that, it, that I wasn't going to be free to do this call. So I remember that because at my age, I want to remember things. But I right, so I think it was Ray Hildebrand, but I could be wrong. And I will check that. But, but Billy Ray covered it on Word. Uh, I, uh, and, and, and so we, we really didn't get the big single. And I wish we had all been ready. But Larry wrote it. And so we were proud to have him on the label. But let me flip over to your question here.
0: Michael Lloyd.
1: I just talked to Michael this weekend as well as Al Bell. Michael Lloyd is working with our company to this day. He joined us in the 60s, and he's still with our company. Um, now, with the Osmonds, it's, it's an uh, uh, interesting story. Uh, the first record, um, you know, a little a lesson in humility here. Uh, first of all, the first record that I recorded with them, um, after we, uh, I wrote and produced but they decided to leave the label because they were with Andy Williams on the show and Andy had started his own company. So they left. So my first single had so little impact that they left and went to another label. Then they came back and I still didn't have the message. And so I ended up producing uh, a single called moving along with them. It was a good record, but it wasn't a great record and I just couldn't figure out what to do. And, and a friend of mine from muscle shows named Rick Hall Called me on the phone and he said, "Mike, I have an artist that I want you to sign." And I said, "Oh, send it to me." It was a guitarist, uh, really good, very soulful, and but I, I didn't really know what to do with the record. But I said, uh, so I called him back. I said, "I don't know what to do," and he said, "Mike, if you'll sign it, I'll do something for you." I said, "Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to come to Las Vegas and see the Osmond Brothers perform. They looked like." the white Jackson five and they're Mm -hmm. singing Motown songs. You've got to see it. And, and he said, well, you, aren't you producing? And I said, Hey, Rick, you can be the producer. I just want to hit with, I don't, you know, you knew the story uh, of, you know, you you know, my, my belief. I, I always believe that there's people better than me. I mean, when I moved to Nashville, I knew that every songwriter and every producer was better than me. I knew that. I mean, the only thing I think that experience does is it helps us know the good from the bad product. But, but it also lets us know when, when it's time to let let Isaac Hayes do it or let, and in this case, Rick Hall said, okay I'll, okay, I'll come out and see him if you'll sign my art. So I did. So then he came out and he was stunned. So we took the group to muscle show and there was a African-American guy. I I think his name was Charles Jackson. I'm not talking about Chuck Jackson, you know, the great R and B singer who was on Wand, who had right. now and all that. I'm, not, I'm talking about a, a black songwriter in Muscle Shoals, and his it was, I, think it was, I think his name was Charles Jackson, and he had this blues. he, he, anyway, he sang this song. He goes, he said, "I got a new song." And he goes, "One that apple don't spoil the whole, whole bunch, bunch, girl." You know, kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you but know, that kind of stuff. And he was singing it over in the corner of the studio, and so Rick took the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, and it was really Rick. I mean, I was there, but, you know, Rick was the producer, I got to say, you know, and, and we, you know, this is, you know, you're covering areas that I've never discussed, but at my age, I don't want to die and take credit for somebody else's work. No, this was Rick Hall. This was Rick Hall, just like you lied up my life. That was Joe Brooks, you know, and, 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 but I will tell you this: we sure jumped on it. <laughs> uh, and we went and, 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 you know, we we didn't we had struggled so hard to break the Austins and, and everybody thought they were a barbershop quartet, white Mormon barbershop quartet. And one idea that I will take credit for, I, I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we change their name from the Osmond Brothers to the Osmonds mm-hmm. And why don't why don't we ship it to R&B under the name Osmond? So we did. And we got it way up into the top 10 of the R&B charts. Uh, under the name Osmonds, and then, of course, everybody realized that they were a white Mormon group, and that was the end of that, but it broke the record, and then we got Cleveland and others to play it, and the darn record went all the way to number one. It was a monster, monster hit, and the Osmonds were suddenly the white Jackson 5.
0: That's right. Um,
1: and I, it, was, it was very funny because it was, it really ended up sounding like an exact copy of ABC by the Jackson 5. I mean, when you listen to the rhythm and everything, and we had black musicians playing, obviously in muscle show. So, uh, and then Barry Gordy called me, and I thought, "Oh my goodness sakes! You know, what am <laughs> I going to do?" And 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 by then we had the Four Seasons, and we had just had this monster hit with, uh, you know, December '63. Oh, what a night! Oh, the four seasons. Oh yeah, yeah. massive. Yeah. yeah, and and so there there we were, uh, and so and they had been and they had been on Motown before they were with Curb. and and of course when the, the Osmonds sounded like they were copying the Jackson five and of course Sammy Davis had been on Motown and Barry called me. I like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. And he invited me over to his house. I said, I don't know what's going to happen to me. He's a very gentle guy, but I mean, he has every reason to go after me, you know? And, and, and so I went over and met him and, and Barry's still alive. And he mentioned this to me last time I saw him, he, he said, Mike, I want to figure out what you're doing how did you get Sammy a hit after he was on Motown? How did you get the four seasons after they left Motown a hit? How did you get the Osmonds to sound like the Jackson 5? I said, Barry, I have been copying Motown since (laughs) the first The first time I heard Money by Barrett song. You know, it (laughs) it wasn't even called Motown. It was called Anna Records. I have been trying to figure out uh, how to make records that sound like Motown. I mean, on Sammy Davis, look, we use a Motown drum. We learned how to do the Motown drum, how to separate the cymbal and get that backbeat. So when Sammy yeah. Davis left the studio, he might have been, you know, snapping his fingers, going, "Who can take tomorrow?" But when when he left the studio, it was like, "Who can take tomorrow?" You know, we yeah. had the drums slamming, you know, uh, it was awesome. like a Motown drum. You know, so I said, Barry, all we we have been trying to learn your secret s- since 1959 when I first started writing songs, and We've been trying ever since, and it just so happened that it worked with with the four seasons and it worked with Sammy Davis jr it worked with the Osmonds, but it's also worked with so many of our other artists and Barry and I ended up having a very good relationship in fact he would be another good person i I'm sure you've already thought of it, but along with Al Bell I can't think of in fact, I can't think of anybody uh better than al Bell and barry gordy jr particularly in these times
0: would love would love to speak with him obviously um you know his impact is huge but i love the fact that you just said you know hey we were just trying to figure out what you're doing
1: (laughs) exactly exactly that
0: i think a lot of people were trying to figure out what he was doing because there was some magic juice flying around that place
1: I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, and, 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 you know, but anyway, going, and, and going back to your Osmond thing, uh, y- y- and then, of course, Michael Lloyd jumped in and did Down by the Lazy River and Crazy Horses mm-hmm. with him.
0: You know that my son Nick, one of his favorite songs, and he's from a completely different generation, one of his favorite songs is Crazy Horses.
1: Yes, and, you know, the lead singer on Crazy Horses is Jay Osmond. Yeah, And Jay is the only Osmond awesome member of the original group still performing, and he is a very special person. He sang lead on Crazy Horses, and you would love him. If, 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 if Jay ever got a chance to talk to Nick, I think he would have a heart attack. Uh, but uh, Jay, Jay is that real beautiful, special guy, along with Meryl Osmond. But, uh, but uh, Meryl has, has had a little bit of a heart condition. But Jay's the only one left to perform now. And I just had lunch with him. And of course he loves what the Jonas Brothers is doing are doing now. But Jay sang lead on Crazy Horses. Meryl sang lead on Down by the Lazy I am Down by the Lazy River. And then and then on the on I produced Love Me for a Reason, which featured uh, the group, you know, doing more of that Philadelphia sound than as we got into that area. And then I, I produced all the Donnie and Marie records. Uh, like Leaving It All Up to You and Deep Purple oh. and Mornings Morning Out of the Mountain. Those were records I produced. And then, But actually, Paper Roses, I was going to produce it, uh, and I, I used the same formula. I, I brought Marie to Nashville, and I got my friend Sonny James to let us use his band, and Sonny came to the session. I said, wait a minute. This is our Rick Hall. <laughs> Sonny James <laughs> said, you know something? I'm going to put produced by Sonny James on this record. Wow. I'm not going to put produced by Mike Kerb. And so, as you can see, even though people treat me as a producer of You Light of My Life or all these different things, uh, you know, and, 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 can't even, I mean, I've always wanted to bring other people in. Uh, so, you know.
0: That's one of the things that I love too. And I think that's part of what I love about men like you and your career is, yes, you, you are humble and it's disarming and beautiful, and but also you are very talented as a writer, as, as a producer, but you connect the pieces. And one of the stories you told me that I tell everybody uh, was when... Donnie's voice was changing and there just happened to be somebody else sitting there doing some schoolwork. Would you mind telling us that Donnie and Marie story? (laughs) Because it is one of my, like for me as a kid that my wife and I, like she, she follows him on Instagram and I will always be a fan of Marie. Would you mind sharing that with us?
1: Well, yes. Uh, so anyway, so, so Sonny James, in my opinion, was the real producer. And we listed his name on the record of Paper Roses. He did he did something. He did the same thing that Rick Hall did for One Bad Apple. You know, he made it Absolutely. A, perfect, a perfect record. And beautiful. Sonny, uh, we were Sonny's publisher. We miss him every day. I had the honor of it, uh, helping to induct him into the Country Music Hall of Fame. He was a very beautiful person. Um, thinking about him right now, uh, but after Paper Roses was a hit, um, we um, and, and Donnie's voice was changing, and Donnie had had so many hits then at that point, uh, and we we recorded a song with Donnie as a solo record called "I'm Leaving It All Up to You." It had been a hit by Don and Dewey back in the mid '50s. They were an African American duo, and and we um, recorded it with Donnie. And then he went on the road with the Osmond for about three months and he came back and, and I was, we were sitting in the studio and George Osmond, the father was there and, and Donnie is there. And then Marie was just there doing homework and we're in the corner and, um, you know, uh, Donnie started to do the harmony. I'm leaving it off to you. And his voice had changed. So, uh, we, um, I started thinking of what to do. I said, um, you know, maybe we, so I said to George, Osmond, maybe we get uh because Merrill was older, older brother, but Merrill had a real good falsetto. Um, and then, uh, I was looking over at Marie. She kind of looked up and I said, you know, what would be funny? I said, Marie, you know, you could lay down the harmony on this if you want. Uh, and of course Marie was ready to do it, but I didn't think, but then Donnie didn't look enthused at first. Uh, but then I, but then the father, George Osmond, was he, he was a strong. I mean, I mean, he was like a general, you know. And he looked over at Donnie and he said something like, "You know, Mike has changed our careers. How can you not follow his instructions?" And I, of course, that's the last thing I wanted to hear. <laughs> you know, I didn't want. You know, the last thing, the last thing you want to say to your son is, is But I mean, George, if you know, back in those days. George Osmond had been through a real struggle with his family getting. And so our records yeah. had been hitting and they had, they had had about 40 hits by then. So he didn't, he wanted to listen to me. No matter. I, I think I could have had Osama bin Laden produce the record. And he would have said, do it. But <laughs> in, in any event, he looked at Donnie and said, you should listen to Mr. Kerr. Well, I, I hadn't really thought of it. I just said maybe Marie can throw her harmony on it so we could finish the record. and, and, and and she was and she was in the right range to do it, anyway. So she went. So obviously at that point she went out and did it. But I, I felt that it might have damaged my relationship a little bit with Donnie because I didn't intend for his father to enforce it. I was just throwing out. I mean, you've been through this as a father. Someone oh, yes. makes a suggestion, and or you might make a suggestion that your sons don't like. Right. Uh, I, I it, hey, it was Father's Day a couple of days ago. I was on the phone with my two daughters for an hour and a half. You know, talking about racial injustice and all kinds of things. I think we were connecting, but I made sure that I talked about subjects that were interesting to them. But in any event, this was kind of a, a little bit awkward. But Marie went out, and there was magic when she did it, and yeah. and I knew when she was doing it. Um, and and you know, one of the things that is a little awkward on this interview because I've really never gone into this kind of detail is you're probably learning that most of these incredible hits were not planned. And so I I guess if somebody's listening, I would say don't ever think that all knowledge flows from yourself because what I have learned, my biggest hits have been when I listen to others. I mean, my biggest success, uh, biggest successes with my daughters has been when I listened to them. Mm -hmm. And my biggest success with artists has been when I listen to them rather than trying to, to have some magic pill or something uh, because I don't have that magic pill. I mean, if I had a magic pill right now, Tudor would be the number one record in the world because it's my favorite record and, and a combination of, of, of Melanie and Pitbull. It's so exciting, that, that and I know what we're up against now, but if, if I could make one wish uh, happen right now, it would be that that record would, could be, we could carry that record through and take it all the way because here's a Hispanic artist uh, with an incredible manager and, and, and with a, uh, and who's on the phone right now, you're still the manager, I know, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And and with an incredible manager and and Pitbull and it's an incredible record. And I would say we got to keep remixing it and, and keep getting it out there because the biggest hits that I've ever been associated with have been the ones that were hardest to get played. And, right. and also they're always coming from areas. they, they were, I didn't come up with the idea of uh, originally of, of Candyman and Sammy Davis, but when I signed Sammy, I was able to bring the marriage together. Same with you a lot of my life. I didn't know it was going to go number one for the whole decade, but I knew it was a great record. And we were there to do make it as good as we could make it. And same with Leanne. We we struggled with that. In fact, we even got covered by Trisha, and, and they even got the country hit. And my youngest daughter, Courtney, said one day at, at an airport, we were with Leanne, said, why don't we release it pop? And we released it pop. And, and, and how do I live became when Billboard last year published 60 years of females on the Billboard Hot 100, the main chart the biggest female record of all time on the pop chart of the hot 100 was how do i live by leanne rimes and that record was the reason it became a pop hit was because when we released it country trisha yearwood also released it and quite honestly they they did a better job promoting it trisha's a marvelous artist so you had two marvelous artists leanne rimes and trisha yearwood and one had to win and one didn't but they won the battle at country, but we won the battle at pop because finally we could go to pop radio and say, okay, here's a Leanne Rimes record that country isn't playing. It can be a pop hit. And that record went on to become the number, the longest-running record on the Billboard chart for a whole decade
0: mm. in, in
1: his, at, at the end of 2000. But more importantly, just last year, it was the number one record of all time by a female and the number three record of all time was "You Lied At My Life" by Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> so, well,
0: I, I think that is uh, a testament to you. And
1: no, it's a and, testament to realizing it's a testament that when things don't go our way, like let's yeah. say it's not going our way in a, any particular week, let's say on Suda, it's what we do to overcome it. That's when right. we were covered, when when Trisha Yearwood put out the same record, what did we do? Did we did we think we could? Uh, uh, there was work trying to compete. with Trisha? was that it wouldn't have been good because Trisha's a marvelous artist and she's very well well respected. We knew we couldn't uh, we, we couldn't beat that record. So, but we knew we had a great record. We thought we had beaten it with our music, but we for, from a pop standpoint, we thought. We could win, and we did. And, and so we took an, a, a problem, like my grandmother used to say, life is turning negatives into positives. She used to say, you have good problems, and you have bad problems in life. She said, Mike, your problems are good problems. Mm-hmm. And we all know, and Kevin, you've been through it yourself, through health and other issues, you know what bad problems are. I do. And we, and we see bad problems when, you know, when we see... Uh, issues that we're facing as a society today that are really serious problems. We've been blessed because we have good problems, but the light of my life was overcoming uh, an issue, uh, a, a, a good problem, uh, you know, overcoming a record that they had wanted Karen Carpenter and Murray to do overcoming that and taking and being ready when opportunity uh, presented itself. The same is true with, God Only Knows, like, by pretending country this year, the same is true with, for, for, with you know, I can, I can only imagine last decade or you just take any, any of the hits we've had. But um,
0: You know, my son's first hit was a song they did at Columbia Records. They were dropped. We did a video at Columbia that no one ever saw. And when we moved over to Hollywood, the Disney Channel needed some programming and added year 3000's video to the channel and a month after we were dropped we were top 10.
1: It, it's just amazing is it? and just imagine uh, you know how hot lean was and then having a record that we would release um and the record didn't even uh, i mean struggled to even chart at country hmm. and then that we could turn around yeah. and and put out, how can I live? Um, and, and, you know, I was the co-producer of the record and I don't think we changed very much. Uh, I think we, I think we made a slightly different mix for pop, but not a lot. I mean,
0: it right. was just
1: one of those things, but it, it, what we didn't realize, uh, was we finally gave pop radio something with Leanne rhymes that country wasn't playing. So I would just say to any young person, uh, All the hits we've had in our seven different decades here have all been records that people told us we couldn't do, or or records that faced tremendous odds. But they had one thing in common, they were well put together, they were good songs, uh, and we were always ready to promote them, Uh, and yes, along the way we had some that didn't make it that should have, and and I think about those at night. it's, uh, it'll break my heart it'll break my heart if we don't bring Suda in uh, I agree. And, uh, and I don't you know I know we're talking about Fuego and, and I. that's another thing I love I love Stephen Malcolm an African American Christian singer uh, who's just excelling and there's talk about uh, with Baggy is now uh, with him and they're talking about adding uh, doing the same thing we did with Tori Kelly uh, with for King Country maybe adding Mel, uh, Melanie to that I mean we're we're looking at all kinds of things and uh, just a whole, our, our whole life, I mean, has been bringing white and black artists together, uh, you know, on duets. I mean, my own group, I, as I mentioned earlier, recorded the, the Grammy winning record with Lou Rawls of Natural Man and and the number one record Candyman with Sammy Davis. I mean, we've been, uh, le- I mean, our, our version of, of, God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood, the, the, the re-recorded version that is that we've been using for you know that went all the way up the chart, pop. That's a duet between Lee Greenwood and the Fist Jubilee Singers. <laughs> uh, the, the that's rest, wonderful. Last year, the record we had caught up in the country that became the longest-running country record on the on the Billboard chart of all time was a duet between Rodney Atkins, a white artist. And who's, who's been a big success for us, and the Fist Jubilee Singers, who are the oldest African American artists. In fact, national, Nashville got its name from the Fist Jubilee Singers. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Uh, the queen, uh, w- w- it, uh, I asked my wife. It, it was it wasn't Queen. It was Queen Victoria. Um, queen Victoria was the queen. Um, the, they had had a the, probably the first black record ever chart uh, that I know of was in 1910. It was Swing Low, Sweet Chariot by the Fist Jubilee Singers. Uh, and I don't, you know, I know that there, there must have been records probably before, you know, maybe before that, but as far as I, and of course I don't remember 1910, but <laughs> I know that that was the first chart record by a really solid African American group. Uh, now you know W.C. Handy, of course, came on, uh, but but really the Memphis Blues. I mean, he, he really became famous for the St. Louis Blues. So, but, but he did do the Memphis Blues. But see, that would have been probably more like 1918. That would have been the Memphis Blues band. And I, I mean, I really study this stuff and I, I music history. And so I really, and you know, our, we have established a lot of a lot of our colleges that we've established through our foundation. We've established them. You know, trying to teach people music history, music business, all the different disciplines. I mean, you don't have to be a songwriter to make it in the music business. You could be a lawyer and, and make it in mm-hmm. the music business. You can be an accountant. You can be, you can be a preacher. Like, I, I know a guy who was a former. <laughs> preacher. That's right. Some of us uh, actually. Know, he, <laughs> Kevin Jonas. Right. But I mean, you can be doing something else and still be in the music business. But I guess all I'm saying is that. Uh, Here's the Jubilee Singers, you know, and, and here we are. They're the oldest group. Queen Victoria, back in I want to say I want to say 1860 something. Queen Victoria. I want, it would it would, it would have had to have been probably 1862 or 63. I'm I'm thinking uh, now it would have been probably before the Emancipation, maybe maybe right after the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, But basically what what I'm referring to is that the Jubilee singers used to raise money for Fisk University, and they went over to England to perform for Queen Victoria. And she heard them sing, and she turned around, and she said, where are you from? And they said, Nashville, Tennessee, and Queen Victoria said, then that must be Music City, USA. Wow. Wow. And that's how we got our name.
0: Once again, thank you to Mike Curb for joining us. We recorded that two years ago. It's hard to believe that much time has passed. But we're so thankful that he could join the show today. Please remember to follow us, to subscribe, to like, and share with all the folks you know. Looking forward to next week. Thank you so much.